Welcome everyone to Cantus Firmus at the Movies. I am your host, Cody Cook, is my last name. And I have with me two guests, which is pretty exciting, because uh, I've only done one so far, but the original idea was to do a panel type thing. So this was the actually the first, uh, this was the idea for the first one I wanted to do, and then uh, we did some scheduling things, ended up making it the fifth one, I believe. So Excellent. You're, you're discussing Batman versus Superman, and I'm discussing it with my friends Ben Dublett and Jackson Farrell. I mentioned them in that order because that's the alphabetical order, and that seems fair. Also the order of precedence. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so uh, Ben um, is actually my first atheist guest, which is really exciting because I've been trying to get atheists on, and I have some more in the works, hopefully. But atheists are real flighty. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> well, they have very busy and, schedules. Yeah, and depending upon how you treat me, obviously, uh, will determine whether or not others want to join as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know that you. you I mean, you got to get up early in the morning, curse the divine, right? Have your morning coffee. Yeah. So uh, babies to eat. <laughs> it's babies to eat. And uh, so, so Ben actually, uh, if you guys, you may, if you've listened to the podcast before, you may have heard the debate that I did with him on um, who had a better moral philosophy, Jesus or Ayn Rand. Uh, he chose Ayn Rand in that, uh, and uh, Ayn Rand is a uh, and Ben Ben and Ayn Rand were both a, or Ayn Rand was an atheist and Ben is an atheist, uh, and uh, Ben is still fairly influenced by Ayn Rand's philosophy as I understand. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and a very kind of free market and individualistic kind of ethical approach. Um, ben also is a, uh, a novelist. He wrote a novella called Kung Fu Gladiator, which is available on uh, Amazon and paperback and Kindle. And he is currently, I believe the term is querying agents. That is the correct term, yes. <laughs> the novel that he's written that I read an earlier uh, version of called Captain Magnificent, colon, filibuster. The colon is very important. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's not Captain Magnificent filibuster. It's not a magnificent yeah. filibuster. <laughs> and the colon is, is the two dots. He's, yeah. he's not a, it's not a colon cleanse or something. Um, and uh, so that, that's Ben, and we have uh, Jackson as well, who uh, who's made a couple of little appearances on my uh, podcast proper, though not on Cantus Hermes at the Movies. Um, and one of the things he's working on, which I think is pretty cool and I follow, is called Chocolate Book. Uh, and you can find that at chocolatebook.net. Is that correct, Jackson? Yeah. Um, should we tell them what it is, or should I, we just I, leave them in the dark <laughs> so as to build suspense? No, I was going to tell them, or you can tell them. <laughs> you could probably okay. better um, words. Chocolate Book is, is basically this thing that I've been doing uh, every weekday for a little over a year, a year and change, uh, where I eat some chocolate and uh, read the Bible and photograph it and type up some words about what I read. You know, I usually read a chapter uh, every day or so, and... Um, I am currently in the middle of a series I call All the Paul, which is exactly what it says on the tin. I'm reading everything Paul wrote. Hmm. That's great. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So um, the, the the normal approach we do after I introduce everybody is to uh, give a very spoilery plot line outline. Uh, so I'm going to let everybody know now that that's going to happen. But I actually thought it might be uh, worth noting that um, Adam West, who played Batman in the TV series, has recently passed away. Uh, and, um, you know, obviously, if uh, you're a Batman fan, you probably appreciated that series as well. And uh, so um, I'm not very good at eulogies, but whatever you're supposed to say when someone passes away that you respect or have an appreciation for would be appropriate to say at this point. Yeah. Was it was sad. Like, yeah. Oh, sorry. I 
I had a feeling there would be some talking over each other with the three people on it, but go ahead. I was just going to say there, uh, I believe there's a new animated movie out that uh, uh, featured Adam West's voice. Uh, I think they were doing Batman. two. I knew one was out. Is the second one already out? I, I don't know about another one. Yeah, the, the, the Batman 66 oh, type yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I, I actually have heard is good, but I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so anyway, that, that's sad. Yeah, the, um, uh, the Adam West Batman was actually my first introduction to Batman, and I I didn't really realize at the time that it was uh, supposed to be a comedy, you know, because uh-huh. it was six. I've heard a lot of kids, like people who watched it as kids say that. They just thought it was just an action show. They didn't get the humor. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting <clears throat> to go back and watch some of that and uh, see see it from a different, older, more mature angle. <laughs> Similarly, when I read Ayn Rand as a child, I thought it was just dull, but it turns out it was a, a uh, satire. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> a reaction a lot of people have. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, so I'll, I'll give you, I've got some notes here and just kind of plot outline. By the way, does anybody remember, did they say the name of the country where that slaughter happens in that Superman's blamed for? I know, like, Cordo Maltese is, like, a name that shows up in the comics, but I, I don't know if they ever say. I, I believe they did. Um uh, oh no, uh, Nairobi. I think is it Nairobi? Yeah. No, no. It, it was it was Nairobi. Nairobi because they they made it up for okay. the you yeah. know because they couldn't pick an actual country in in Africa. Okay, uh, I was going to say Kondok if I couldn't think of anything. That's where Black Adams right. from. Well, interestingly, uh, I also did that in my book uh, in Captain Magnificent Filibuster. Uh, there is another made up country called Kutan, uh, very similar to uh, North Korea. Yeah. Uh, where the hero visits, and and if if you can tell anything, uh, the quality of something by the fact that they make up the place names, then then this book will be at least as good as Batman versus Superman. Uh, clearly, yeah. <laughs> like I guess I'm gonna have to make up a country and chocolate book now. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll go through the plot here, and there's so much that kind of happens here, and I tried to be kind of simple, but um, it'll take just a minute to read my thing here. So. Uh, we begin, we learn through a flashback that Bruce Wayne was uh, personally present during Superman's flight with Zod, or fight with Zod. I didn't realize I didn't have an L there. Uh, in Man of Steel, which is the movie that came before this one. Uh, and Bruce Wayne essentially blames Superman for all the loss of life that took place uh, that Man of Steel didn't really show, but that you knew darn well was happening. Um, we then move forward to an interview that Lois Lane is conducting with a rebel group in... Was it Naironi? Naironi. Naironi. Yeah. Nairomi. Okay. Uh, so she's conducting this interview with this rebel group, I guess the leader of this rebel group, uh, and violence breaks out. Superman arrives to save Lois, uh, but is ultimately blamed for all of this violence that happens, and there seems to be something kind of nefarious uh, that's going on. <clears throat> One thing I didn't understand at that point, Yeah. when he smashes the general into <coughs> the wall, does the general get turned into some kind of smushy, bloody pulp? Uh, I, or is he somehow alive at the end of that? I presume that he's dead, but but I think you, they would probably make the argument that it was if yeah. I mean, I guess that was maybe necessary. It was I guess because Lois was going to be killed. I, I feel like it would have been very easy for Superman to turn mid smashing into the wall. Yeah. So that his back is against the wall. It's also po- well, yeah. Well, it's also possible that Superman used his head. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These I, are the I, kind of conversations that you have when. Other everybody 
and reads comics or yeah. follows that kind of stuff. So, and I will say, Fred, I don't want, you know, if, if you're not a comics fan, I hopefully we'll try not to get too mired in all these little details of things that we know from the comics, but uh, we, we all are, you know, somewhat familiar with these, these backstories. Yeah. Well, I think the tricky thing about it is that given the sort of Superman that we're looking at, for indeed there are different sorts of Supermans, uh, it isn't so clear-cut, you know, whether or not the general lived or died. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that, that would certainly, it comes a political, I, I guess you'd assume that he's not dead because then you think they would have went to all this, this plot line of the, the political ramifications of Superman killing <laughs> the leader of a, of a <laughs> rebel group in... Uh, in uh, Nairobi. So, um, in any case, we, we, we move forward and um, uh, we discover that Lex Luthor has discovered a piece of kryptonite and he is trying to sell it to the United States government uh, to weaponize it in case they need to use it against Superman. And all he wants in exchange is access to General Zod's ship and his body. And Zod, for those who didn't see Man of Steel, is the uh, Kryptonian criminal who Superman fights and kills in uh, Man of Steel. <clears throat> We then um, kind of move forward a little bit more. Uh, Bruce Wayne has this dream slash vision of a future where Superman has become a tyrant and Batman helps lead a rebellion against him. At the end of that, uh, Flash um, sort of like shows up apparently in real life, I guess, and um, this little time portal and uh, warns Batman about Superman. Um, but you might not have known he was Flash because he doesn't really look like Flash, but that, that is Flash. <laughs> um, so uh, then Lois discovers that the bullets fired during the slaughter in Nairobi actually came from LexCorp, and they were uh, the, this whole thing happened in Nairobi to set up Superman, make him look bad. Uh, and it does, in, in fact, spark a Senate hearing where Superman is supposed to be asking, uh, answering all these questions, and Luther, uh, Luthor sets off a bomb in the courtroom, which kills everyone in the room and makes Superman look guilty. Uh, let's see here. Luther then uses this information database from the ship and as well as Zod's body and his own blood to begin creating the weaponized life form Doomsday, who is part Kryptonian and part made of Luther's DNA. He then allows Batman to find the kryptonite and kidnap Superman's mother, saying he will kill her if Batman isn't dead in an hour. Batman tries to kill Superman, who seeks to convince Batman to help him find his mother, Martha. Uh, this triggers a catharsis in Batman, who suddenly understands Superman's humanity, partly because uh, uh, his mother is also named, or was also named Martha. So Batman agrees to help Superman save his mother. Uh, they rescue her, but Lex then unleashes Doomsday. Wonder Woman joins Batman and Superman in fighting him. Superman manages to kill Doomsday with a kryptonite spear that Batman had developed, but in doing so, he dies himself. Uh, Lex Luthor then communicates with uh, what appears to be Steppenwolf, one of Darkseid's generals uh, from the planet uh, um, Apocalypse. Uh, this, I think, hopefully will make more sense in the next Justice League movie, <laughs> if, if you're not following it here. Uh, but uh, sort of these characters that exist in the comics. Uh, then Lex is arrested, and Batman visits him in prison, uh, decides not to brand him. And the brand is kind of important because Batman will brand... Um, certain criminals that he catches with the, the bat signal or symbol and like he'll like, like heat it up and burn them on their skin. And that apparently communicates to everybody in prison that this guy was a serious low life sexual degenerate who tortured or molested women or children or whatever. And so Batman was thinking, I guess apparently going to brand him and decides not to. And he's apparently changed uh, in some way because of Superman's example. 
and uh, Luther then sort of babbles on uh, foreshadowing the coming of Darkseid, that it's coming soon. So that is basically what happens in the movie. Yeah. Right? That's about right. Yeah. Okay. So what did everybody think of the movie just from a film goer's viewpoint and a comic enthusiast's viewpoint? So for me, um, the uh, visually, the film is amazing. Uh, it was one of the best looking superhero films I've ever seen. The action scenes were brilliant. Um, Story-wise, there were a lot of plot holes. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on that didn't necessarily make sense and that was very unclear. Did you see the Ultimate Edition or the cut version? Uh, like? I've seen both. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the Ultimate Edition did clear a few things up, but there were a lot of things missing, like how and who knew uh that was one thing that really did not get uh, uh clearly communicated to the audience well it seems that luther luther does luther apparently knows everyone but we're never really shown how uh well he has that like database on the um 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 or the supers or whatever the wonder woman and metahumans yeah uh and he does say something what does he say uh at the end at the end of the thing when he's talking to batman in prison yeah, at the, yeah, and the very Wayne last and like scene, kind of... it's revealed that uh, Luther knew that Bruce Wayne was Batman the entire time. Yeah. Uh, even though he doesn't use that knowledge at any point. Well, he does use it, though. Oh, oh, he invites, no, 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 he invites right, Wayne to the party right, yeah, to does, meet Clark Kent yeah. and, and to give him access to the, the servers. And... Yes, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, Superman seems to discover at some point that, uh, well, actually, we, we are shown this, the point when Superman discovers that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and that's in the uh, scene where they're, uh, where Bruce Wayne is investigating Lex Luthor's mansion. Yeah, the, the benefit part yeah, of the order. benefit. Mm -hmm. And he hears Bruce Wayne communicating with Alfred over the radio. With a super hearing. With a super hearing. Yeah. <clears throat> but nothing that they say in that conversation gives away the fact that that Bruce Wayne is Batman, uh, even though in the immediate aftermath, Clark Kent, in his guy, uh, Superman, his guy's Clark Kent, confronts Bruce Wayne uh, and has learned somehow that he is, in fact, Batman. I think he may get an indication at the party that he's Batman, yeah. um, but uh, I can't remember exactly what is said on... Uh, at the party, he demands to know Bruce Wayne's opinion of well, Batman we're trying to think of what Alfred did. says to Bruce that Superman would have heard that could have suggested that he was Batman. If there was anything, I remember at the time feeling like Superman was had a hint that something was going on. Yeah, there. it but, was. It was all. But also, unless Batman's cowl is lined in lead, Superman obviously knows who Batman is. Well, at that point, he had not <laughs> seen him in person yet. Yeah, like they hadn't had that confrontation where. Uh, Bruce Wayne's, or where the Batmobile bounces off of Superman. Yeah. Which, as another point, a side point, would not have happened. Because even though Superman is super strong, unless he weighs more than the Batmobile, mm -hmm. when the Batmobile and Superman collide, no matter how strong Superman is, he's going to be the one who flies off in the opposite direction, not the Batmobile. Okay, well, I didn't realize that I had invited Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's an important point to make. Um, I think so too. I mean, <laughs> well, well, too well, often well, physics Superman, gets thrown out the window. Can Superman control his density? Uh, apparently. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean they've done that, there's in those things like if you stand a certain way, people have a hard time lifting you up, like you like have a seeming well, greater think, weight than you do or something. I think if Superman were braced against the ground in, in such a way as to use 
the weight of some other object mm -hmm. to add to his own, then the Batmobile could have bounced off of him. Yeah. But the way he was standing, he was standing upright with uh, hands on his hips. Yeah, he doesn't have the spidey grippy yeah. things. Yeah, so and yeah, yeah. And that's that's an important point to point out because yeah. I am something of a pedant. What if he? What if he kind of? What if? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if he sort of pushed himself forward a little, uh, he yeah. was standing com completely still. Yeah. Well, well, we know that Superman can fly, and so this this implies some ability to, you know, if if he were about to be sent flying by a collision with the Batmobile, I I would think that he could immediately arrest his uh, his flight through the air. You know, with with whatever in whatever period of time constitutes Superman's sure. reaction time, which is very very short. You know, maybe sure. Superman really has telekinetic power, but only over his own body. Oh, is that so? <laughs> that's yeah, it. yeah. That's I, uh, be the way that it works. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> so, um, so you I mean talked about the style being, you know, liking the style of it. I mean, it definitely feels like a Zack Snyder film who directed it. Who, um, you know, I, I can take or leave sometimes, but. Um, in this case, I, I really liked the movie. I mean, you know, there um, there are certain plot things that I think are a little bit confusing. Um, I think particularly if you don't know a lot about the comics, like you're not going to understand what's going on with Flash and things like that. Um, yeah, there was an awful lot of stuff in there. Probably a good, like, half hour, 45 minutes of screen time that was completely irrelevant to the plot that was only in there to set up the future uh, DCEU. Uh, the you know their extended cinematic universe, uh, which is understandable in the larger context because they are trying desperately to catch up to Marvel, who did this way better. Uh, but it makes for a bit of a, a less impactful movie. Um, I you know I, I I wouldn't say that there was any more than ten minutes of stuff that set up uh, for the other movies. I mean, they discover the. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you think about it, well, I don't know. He gets access to Lexus uh, servers and discovers these other superheroes. But there's another point. There's another reason why he gets access to the server too, which yeah. is I think to figure the, out what's going on with the ship and the kryptonite shipment coming in. Yeah, I think all the all the footage that we see of the Flash and of Cyborg and his uh, his long dream sequence where he's uh, a in a sort of future dystopia yeah. ruled by Superman. The uh, sequence where Flash pops in out of a, a wormhole, uh -huh. uh, that, uh, that, that's all unnecessary to the plot. Possibly, and I don't want to say, and, and I could be persuaded otherwise in this point, but possibly the entire presence of Wonder Woman was unnecessary, uh, other than to make the fight scene at the end a bit more exciting. Well, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I guess she, she is there to sort of set up what could happen in the future as well. I mean, they are, they are definitely doing some setup. For um, for the Justice League, yeah. um, but I, mean, I don't necessarily mind that. I mean, I understand that there's a world that's here that's that's, that's kind of opening up, and um, I mean, I think that I kind of thought that was sort of cool. I don't think it was too distracting. But I will say one thing about Wonder Woman: why is it that it is at this precise point that Wonder Woman decides to come out of hiding? Yeah, because we know that Man of Steel happened, and she didn't do anything about Zod. I actually had that same thought. The one thing I would say in their defense is we see in the latest Wonder Woman movie that uh, she is living in France. So it's entirely possible she was in France at the time that the, that the Kryptonians had invaded the Earth. Yes. <laughs> and tried to destroy it. And, and she you know, just didn't know about it. I mean, I would assume that they shut down flights 
uh, international flights at that time. Yeah, and she doesn't seem to have an invisible jet in this film. Right, which is a major plot hole. Yeah, so maybe uh, maybe she's just watching the news and biting her nails. Yeah, entirely possible. And uh, yeah, so I would uh, I, I, I'll give them a pass on that. Uh, and she was in Metropolis or Gotham uh, for a very good reason to get back the photograph, uh, which was you know uh, very important to her. So we, we we can give them a pass on that. And the photograph, if, if you haven't if you haven't seen, I mean, I assume if you you're listening, you've probably seen the movie. But the photograph is this photograph of her from sort of World War One era, right. um, that sort of exposes her as not strictly human. Yes. Yeah. Um, hmm. So okay, so we got that. Um, well, I I I, uh, I found that the movie sort of had that problem, um, not exactly of extraneous material, but mm-hmm. of um, just just sort of pervasively uh, having having these scenes that were uh, just well, I it's it's hard to explain, but like I I felt I felt like a lot of the movie seemed disconnected on a scene by scene basis. You know, like the yeah one one could the the connections the plot the the points between each you know what's happening and how the the narrative and the stuff developed seemed tenuous to the point where you know i had to ask myself you know what's what sort of a narrative is going on here at all like i i liked um i thought the movie was trying to do some very interesting things thematically and with the ideas it was playing around and and with the characters as you know sort of icons you know there there are a variety of different supermans and batmans in the whole legacy of comics and and these figures and you know, it's the question becomes what sort of Batman and what sort of Superman is Zack Snyder constructing here and why, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, but I felt like in terms of the narrative and the plot, like things were just happening in order that X, Y, and Z can happen or can, can be sort of explored or developed in a, in a given scene and that there wasn't a lot of um, just in terms of a story that makes sense, you know, that there wasn't a lot of that sort of glue between everything else. I would agree with that assessment because you do see this uh, intense uh, preoccupation with getting to powerful visual moments, uh, and there's not a there's not a really strong underlying story there. There's this desire to get to these cool big flashy moments where someone has this you know, excellent piece of dialogue or where there's some you know, visual interest or visually interesting thing going on. Uh, and how you get there is less important. It suffers from what you know, people in writing circles call idiot plot, where you can suss out a million different things that a character should have d- done differently. Uh, if you're a reasonable person, that they didn't do because doing it the one slightly more difficult way uh, got you to a more interesting moment cinematically. Uh, and I think that's a major problem with the film, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people didn't like it. But uh, uh, yeah, overall, I, I, I would say it was uh, you know an enjoyable three hours. Yeah, it's yeah. long. Yeah. Um, I think the major, my major issue plot-wise 
was with the the trope of the mad genius who manipulates everybody's actions, and you're not always completely sure how it's happening. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my main my main thing with it is like, what exactly is going on here in um, Nairobi, and how is how is this planned out, and what was the yeah. I mean, there's things like that that you know, the more you watch it, the more you kind of okay, I get kind of what's happening here. I didn't like the whole Lex Luthor as Mark Zuckerberg thing that he had going on there, where it's. I, I was really hoping that this time around we would get the the bald businessman Luther that you saw in Lex Luthor Man of Steel, for instance, yeah. uh, where he's a, a corporate titan who's you know a, a, a bit more dispassionate. It's kind of, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a Nietzsche figure in a way, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah mm -hmm. I, mean, I think it was an interesting change. I mean, it, it's not quite, it didn't bother me as much as uh, they, when they updated Lobo to make him like Edward Cullen oh, um, in the comics. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think all these changes are kind of interesting. And I think the one that made a lot of fans mad was the idea that Batman kills. Yeah. But I think it makes perfect sense in the plot. And, and I think, too, is I'm not pedantically focused on well this is this character and this is what he does and yada 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 I mean I, I look at comics as this way of telling larger than life stories with larger than life characters and I think DC in particular has this sort of almost like a feeling like you're, you're reading Greek mythology or something yeah. and you know it, you can get focused on well that's not something that Zeus would do or whatever but but at the end of the day I mean you're it's about the stories that you're telling that you can only tell in this kind of format certainly and um and so for me, I mean, I, I, it made sense. I mean, it, it, in the comics, Batman doesn't kill because he just has this ethic. Mm -hmm. He's not motivated really by it. It's just something he does. Right. You're not really sure why he does it. He just does it. And, and But in this, in this film, Batman develops that ethic. And he develops that because of experiences that he has and, 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 and real-life sort of things that happen. Um, and that changes him as a person and gives him a motivation for why he does what he does. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, that seems like an interesting way to sort of uh, jump in from the assessment of the film as a work of art to the use of it as a vehicle for understanding philosophy and, in your case, theology. Mm -hmm. So did you ha have some uh, particular interesting points to say about the, uh, yeah. the, the idea that Batman... Uh, kills for a particular reason, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so I mean, I think that the the big theme that's here, and, and I'm and I'm, I mean, almost, I would almost bet my every, every dollar I have in the bank on it that I'm not making this up because I think that this is very intentional in the film. Um, is that um, it's really intending to give an answer to the problem of evil that parallels the Christian answer to the problem of evil, and. Um, so the, the basic kind of theme that I sort of saw here was that, you know, suffering makes us feel bitter and alienated from God and other people, but, but you know, genuine love and sacrifice can inspire us to look past our momentary pain to see, you know, something a little bit bigger. And so, you know, I, you know, I think um, there are places in the film, multiple places where Superman is compared to God by both Wayne and Luthor. Um, Wayne questions the existence and goodness of God because God let his parents die. In contrast to that, Luthor actually hates God. <laughs> he doesn't think, oh, I don't know if this guy exists. It's more like a hatred for God because his own father, who he sort of sees as a God figure, and that's something that we could talk about too, the idea of the, the, the father figure to, being paralleled to God. Uh, but Luthor's father figure, uh, or father, was cruel to him, and he sort of looks at God in that way. Um, 
Um, I think uh, the line is, um, what does he say? I have a note here somewhere. Um, let me see here. No, um, God takes sides. No man in the sky intervened when I was a boy to deliver me from daddy's fists and abominations. I figured out way back if God is all powerful, he cannot be all good. And if he is all good, he cannot be all powerful. Um, and then he says at that point to ba uh, Superman, they need to see the frog you are with their eyes, the blood on your hands. So really, I mean, everything Luther is doing in this film, it's not simply, I mean, I feel like Luthor in, in, in the comics is this very sort of cocky guy, but he's still at the end of the day, very insecure. And Superman brings out all of his insecurities. And I don't think that's really the case with this Luthor. I feel like in this Luth with this Luthor, he hates Superman because he hates God. <laughs> and, and that's that's really what's coming out. Um, and he hates God because he hates his father. Yeah, so this idea of the problem of evil. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah I, uh, if, if I may interject, I thought that it was interesting that they chose to approach that, uh, that through Luthor's sort of, you know, assessment of the problem of evil. Um, and both of these these superheroes, you know, Batman and Superman, um, especially Superman, because when you when you look at it from the perspective of if God is, you know, all powerful, um, then he can't be all good. If he's all good, he can't be all powerful. Then Superman can only sort of approximate that um, that's that uh, that sort of situation as a flawed icon because Superman is neither all powerful nor all good. You know, he's he's very powerful and he's very good, but we've already established the limits of his power that you know he can't save everyone, and that uh, you know, moreover, that that in the um in the the previous uh, what was it, Man of Steel? Um, you know, we we do see him. Uh, sort of not even making an attempt to, to save people, so he's not all good either. Yeah, no, that's definitely definitely true. Uh, definitely, sort of where that metaphor breaks down a little bit. Yeah, now, and is it, it, it? And you could you could ask: is is that just another instance of of Luther's sort of unhinged insanity? You know, or or is it like an actual sort of oversight in the way that they're approaching these themes? I don't know. I don't know if I'd call it an oversight. I mean, I think certainly at, at some point or another, all analogies are going to break down. Um, That's fair. But, you know, I mean, I think, you know, there is a certain unhinged way that Luther approaches it, but but Wayne also sort of makes these same parallels. Um, or Batman, you know. Um, I think he says, yeah. uh, and this kind of brings... And you might say more cogently. Yeah, well, for, for him, he, said, he says something, he's talking to Superman, he says, I bet your parents, when he's fighting him, I bet your parents taught you that you mean something, that you're here for a reason. My parents taught me a different lesson, dying in the gutter for no reason at all. They taught me the world only makes sense if you force it to. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's a very different approach. I mean, for Batman, well, God isn't even there. Um, but he's still, but I think that feeds into a little bit his suspicion of Superman because he's suspicious of the idea of, of, of God in general. Uh, it doesn't seem right to him. And it, what he sees on, on the ground level is that anybody who, who's ever witnessed who's had power has used it to harm. And so I think he's suspicious of power in that sense. Um, uh, I mean, Luther says something similar. The oldest lie in America is that power can be innocent. Going Building on this idea of the problem of evil, I did want to just mention that I think that um, uh, the film does propose an answer to that problem 
and um, it, it happens through the eyes of, of Bruce Wayne. Um, uh, what changes his perspective is discovering that Superman is not distant from human pain, but that he is in fact chosen to become human like us, and despite his great power, actually experience true suffering and weakness, the only kind of, it can really only be born out of love. Um, and the illusion, I think, is very clearly here to Christ. God may be powerful, but he's not distant. And we know that because he took on our humanity because he loved us and he paid the cost that mortality brings, pain and death. And so, you know, this answered the problem of evil uh, that, you know, well, you know, you may not always understand what's going on or what God's purposes are in the end. But at the very least, you can't say, well, he's from a Christian perspective, he's just this distant guy who has no idea what we go through. Because I think the the incarnation of Jesus um, gives a pretty, I think, strong rebuke to that contention. And I think that makes Christianity kind of unique um, for, for its answer to the problem of evil, that it's the kind of answer that you wouldn't find in Islam or Judaism, for example. Yeah. And, you know, just to talk about the problem of evil as a criticism of religion, sort mm -hmm. of tearing it away from the context of the film, uh, as someone who is generally quite critical of uh, of religion and of the idea of a uh, god in general, uh, I've always found the problem of evil argument to be lacking in some important ways in terms of the various kinds of criticisms that uh, atheists like myself can level at religion. Uh, and it's lacking, first of all, because Christians have developed quite a you know, good answer to it. It's in fact one of the uh, foundational, uh, it's built into the foundational myths of uh, the, the Abrahamic faiths, the idea of Adam and Eve and uh, you know, being uh, like fallen from the Garden of Eden and all that, all of that stuff. Uh, that's, you know, one thing that they really thought through sort of early on. And, uh, and we can't really uh, uh, criticize them on that grounds. We can criticize them on the grounds that, you know, they didn't really see uh, things like evolution coming. Uh, <laughs> they uh, uh, didn't build a lot of other, uh, build the correct age of the universe into their mythology, but they did build an answer to the problem of evil into their mythology. Well, I, 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 I would approach that somewhat differently, and I, well, we're not going to get into a conversation probably about the age of the earth and a discussion about Batman versus Superman, but um, <laughs> um, you know, the, the problem of evil, I've always heard sort of split up into two different problems. There's the logical problem and the emotional problem, mm -hmm. and the logical problem doesn't really get off the ground, because the logical problem asserts that there's absolutely no reason that a good God could have for allowing suffering. And you simply can't prove that. So logically, the logical problem is just nothing. You can't really do anything with it. The emotional problem is different. And that's this idea about, well, what, why do I suffer? What am I supposed to do with my suffering? Where is God in what I'm going through? And I think that's where Christianity in particular has a unique answer, mm -hmm. which is that, you know, God identifies with your suffering in a very unique way that Allah, for example, couldn't. Yeah. Well, and um, the other reason why I find this to be a very uh, weak argument is that it requires a degree of pessimism on the part of the person who is making it. Mm -hmm. uh, it requires uh, the person who is making the argument to portray the world as a place where suffering is is common, is, is ubiquitous, and uh, and that we are helpless to do anything about it. Uh, and, you know, according to my philosophy, suffering is the, uh, is the aberration. It's the result of 
humans doing things improperly, of organizing ourselves improperly, of uh, uh, accepting incorrect belief systems, uh, and of, of failing to use our reason to its fullest potential. And that's that's definitely that's you, you sound. I was going to say that's similar to the kind of answer that you hear sometimes more conservative Christians giving the problem of evil. Similar kind of really? answer. I would give a slightly. I would feel a little uncomfortable saying it quite like that. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I think a, a rational person would disbelieve in the existence of God. Uh, but I don't think the problem of evil is one of them. Hmm. It is interesting. Well, and um, you had made a point, Ben, um, uh, when we were talking kind of before this um, about the uh, the approaches to... Uh, thinking about human nature that Superman and Batman seem to kind of instantiate. Yeah. And what, so what, what there's, would be yeah, the, Superman and Batman uh, ha, represent, in the context of this film and more generally, um, two different poles uh, on both their ethical viewpoints and on their viewpoints of how society is constructed. Now, we'll start with society uh, and the idea of justice. Uh, Superman seems to think that justice is the natural state of affairs and that society can be protected from injustice by someone around who can smack down the aberrations, who can fight off the alien invasion and rescue the child from the burning building or uh, pluck the ship that's trapped in ice free. Uh, and as long as there's someone around to, to, to take care of the few things that you know go wrong unexpectedly then everything else will be fine and that's those are the kind of problems that superman deals with both in the film and in the comics like you see him fighting you know those big uh, uh extraterrestrial threats in the comics batman on the other hand he seems to think that the real that justice is something that must be imposed by force that left to their own devices men will just tear each other apart that we are horrible, nasty, uh, brutish creatures uh, that just need to be whipped into submission. Uh, you know, and, and that does seem to sort of parallel a little bit more what Christians tend to think about humans, <laughs> that uh, you know, we're fallen, I believe is the, is the word. Uh, Ayn Rand said that she, had, that she thought of man as a heroic figure. Uh, that, um, uh, and had a very positive view of human uh, nature and human potential. Uh, and so in that sense, I think that, you know, and we'll talk about the other sense in, in a minute, but in that sense, I think that, uh, that Superman tends to represent the sort of positive, life-affirming values that are expressed by, uh, by Ayn Rand and uh, by other uh, sort of uh, humanistic philosophers, um, you know, uh, from Aristotle down to uh, modern times. Well, that, that could be. I mean, at the end of the film, you remember that uh, Bruce Wayne sort of part of his catharsis is that he thinks that maybe people are basically good. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember thinking, well, where did that come from? <laughs> but but, but, but that, that does kind of connect with the, the the parallel that you were making, that he is, he's um, his way of thinking is, is changed by Superman. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think in the Christian tradition, you have these, I wouldn't say it's it's all pessimistic. I mean, I'd say you have two two different ideas 
One is that man is made in the image of God and reflects God's goodness in some sense. But on the other hand, he also has the capacity for evil and is separated from God in one sense. And so, you know, if God is the source of goodness and we are at a not, you know, we're sort of separated from God, that, that's going to have an effect on, um, you know, our passions and, and our desires and, and our actions. And, you know, I, um, G.K. Chesterton, I think, had, had, uh, had written that, um, you know, it was fashionable in, in his time, you know, almost 100 years ago now, um, to um, uh, doubt the um, the doctrine of original sin or total depravity. Mm -hmm. And he argued that that was the only doctrine in the Bible that you could absolutely prove from experience. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I think there, there's definitely, you know, there is in Christian tradition different ways of emphasizing those two, um, you know, ideas. Um, and uh, I wouldn't say it's completely negative, but I, I would say that, you know, there is a sense of needing something to come in from outside to change what's happening. And I think that's even sort of suggested in what's happening with Superman. I mean, yeah. he is alien in a sense, but he he's able to save humanity by becoming one of us. Well, and I think this idea that you do need something to come in from outside, as you put it, mm -hmm. Uh, that is essentially what Batman is representing in, mm -hmm. in uh, the viewpoint that he's expressing, that the world only makes sense if you force it to. Mm -hmm. um, it was, his, was what he said. Uh, that justice must be imposed mm -hmm. uh, at, at the tip of a batarang. Um, and, uh, and Superman, he has the exact polar opposite perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I said, you can see that by the kinds of threats they both face, like Superman is uh, is rescuing people from the rocket ship that blows up, whereas Batman is fighting the, is, you know, beating up and branding the guy that traffics in, uh, you know, sex lives. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and uh, I tend to sympathize with Superman's point of view in that, in that sense. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to commit that, that, uh, that, that um, uh, debate trick where you say, well, there's this one extreme that you represent, and there's this other extreme over here, and I think the right one is right in the middle. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, very good point, Cody. You seem much more reasonable than me. I do. No, but I, I do think that it's a synthesis. I mean, I think you can, you can overstate human goodness, and I think humanists do that an awful lot, and I think you can also overstate our wickedness. I mean, uh, and, and I don't think either are are really the right answer. And, I, and I'm not saying that as a debate trick. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's I think that's the reality. And 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 I say that I would say that to Christians as well because I think Christians have done both. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's I don't know. Yeah. Do you have anything to say on that, Jackson? We're going to force. Yeah. You just to talk, I, um, you know, I, uh, my dad. Um, I'm going to cite my dad here. Is uh. <laughs> you know, he's, he's fond of saying that, you know, is, is human nature good or evil? Well, it's both, you know, we're, we're made in the image of God. We're good. We do good things. And yet we are fallen. We're, you know, we have a sinful nature and we do bad things. So it's, it really is somewhere in the middle. Just trust my dad. Well, okay. So yeah, I think uh, we can probably put a flag in that and say that if you <laughs> hate humans, then you can join the Christian team. And if you think people are nice, you can uh, come be an objectivist. <laughs> yeah, so what was your other point about the, their, their approaches? Oh, okay, yeah. So um, we could start this out with, uh, with a question, actually. Mm -hmm. A question I have for you guys with your uh, 
based on the sort of ethical philosophy that you hold, influenced by Jesus, obviously, and Christian tradition, can Superman ever take a day off? <laughs> I think this came up in the, in, in the debate and I, uh, that we had. And in, in some sense, I, I don't think we mentioned Superman. We didn't mention right, Superman. Did well, I don't know that we mentioned Superman exactly. But you'd asked, um, you know, if, if we were to acknowledge that, um, you know, I guess you were. I was sort of saying that it's 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 good to think about others, and 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 what's what's good for them, and 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 to sort of want to live your life in such a way that you can make their lives better. And you sort of said, well, if that's the case, then why do you have money and a television, that kind of thing? Well, why, why why not why not I, dedicate I, all of your resources to helping yeah. others. So I don't think that exactly quite frames it right. Um, see, you have to go back to what the central question in ethics is. Mm -hmm. uh, and the central question in ethics is who benefits from the actions of whom? Mm -hmm. Do, are you the rightful beneficiary of other people's actions? Like, are you, can you say that you, that, the labor of others belongs to you. Mm. You know, is that that's the sort of Viking mentality, this idea of being the, the predator. Mm. And that's the most primal, basic human uh, ethical mentality. Mm. And I think what a lot of uh, the early, uh, I won't say primitive, uh, ethical codes uh, that uh, are represented by uh, the Abrahamic faiths and, uh, uh, and, and other early philosophers uh, did was they flipped that around. And they may, and they created altruism. This idea that uh, other people are the proper beneficiaries of your work, of your actions, mm -hmm. and that you owe things to others, uh, whether other and you know, and you can kind of flip it around. Uh, philosophers have throughout the ages and said, you know, you owe things to uh, members of your community, your nation, your race, your uh, religion, your uh, uh, or, or you owe things to humanity as a whole, or you you owe things to the environment. You owe things to nature. Uh, you owe things to the the nation, the state. Um, uh, any kind of ethical code that says that you owe others is altruism. Uh, that's what altruism means. It's uh, altru otherism. Uh, what egoism says is that every person is the proper beneficiary of their own actions. And these are two fundamentally opposite views in philosophy. This is the strict dividing line uh, that we can separate all ethical codes uh, through. And if you accept some form of altruistic code, no matter who you know, is the end beneficiary of your actions, you have to say at some point that by doing things for yourself, when others are not as well off as you are, you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's the point I was trying to make in the debate. It's the point I bring mm -hmm. up when I say, can Superman take a day off? Yeah. Because in the film, we see lots of scenes where Superman is doing stuff for himself. Mm -hmm. He's working at, the, uh, at, at his job to earn some money. He's, um, uh, we see like a really kind of cute scene where he... Uh, jumps into the bathtub fully clothed with Lois Lane, and they, you know, get a little yeah. Friction I think there's some premarital sex. I, I think that might be the case. <laughs> yeah. So there goes your theory about Superman being a Christian. I yeah, it's certainly. Yeah. Um, so so much, so much once again for the all good God. <laughs> yeah. 
but we do we do see Superman having fun, enjoying himself. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, he posed for someone who made a statue of him. Apparently, uh, um, so you know he's. Uh, but during that time that he was in the bathtub getting some hanky panky on with Lois. In a fire somewhere. Well, the, like, yeah. Well, that does bring up an interesting point, which is that presumably Superman is able to hear all these things from miles away. Yeah. So at any given moment, he's probably aware of something terrible that's happening. Uh, I would assume that he. <laughs> I, I've always thought that he could kind of focus his hearing, uh, that he's not getting just a a, a blitz well, of all sure the he, sound yeah, in, yeah. so that he can kind of decide when to listen and where to direct that hearing. Yeah, yeah, he does have but, that. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but, but he at but, some point decides he's not going to listen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So while he's getting hanky panky on with Lois in the bathtub, uh, someone's dying in a fire, and he could be saving them. Mm -hmm. um, the question is: Is he wrong not to? <laughs> is he wrong to choose the time that he enjoys, the time that you know makes his life really good, that the this time he spends with Lois, the woman he loves? Is that something that he's doing that's bad when he uh, could be helping others? Well, so I, I, I would start by saying that you are representing an extreme position, and there's another extreme position on the other side. No, I mean, in a sense, I think that's true. I wouldn't necessarily draw the line between altruism on one side and egoism on the other. I mean, I think that Christianity, the ethic of Christianity is an ethic of mutuality. I mean, I think it acknowledges the reality that there is no such thing as an individual existing by himself. You know, e even in even in God's own nature, God's own nature is Trinitarian, which means that even God, the the only necessary being that exists, does not exist alone. <laughs> so, what is your justification for for saying that, though? Because I think there's a pretty strong, compelling argument based on Scripture mm -hmm. that um, you do have a, a very clear altruistic ethic. Well, I, I, I would call, I would say, I guess I would say a more mutualistic ethic, I think, is there. The fact that we cannot exist as individuals, so you can't necessarily be individualistic, mm -hmm. period, as you can't go ego into egoism. But on the other hand, I think altruism has its own downsides. I mean, if you look at, I've just been reading through, um, you know, the, the ethical codes and Exodus and Numbers and um, and what you see there is there's there's a clear sense of the existence of private property, but at the same time, you know, God says things like, you know, you own your vineyard and nobody's allowed to steal from you, and if they do, they owe you, you know, this much and times whatever. But on the other hand, he also says, you know, um, leave the corners of your field unharvested so that the poor can come in and take some. And what I think I'm seeing there is not um, that this belongs to other people because it belongs to other people, which is what altruism would sort of say, um, but, or, or communism or something. Um, but, but that actually all of this belongs to God, mm -hmm. that God exists in mutuality. He has made human beings to exist in mutuality. So you have to balance on some level, the reality that you are an individual, um, that individual persons do exist, but that they also exist within a culture or a, a, a um, a communal context or whatever, and so that you you can't just be you can't just pick one over the other by by choosing one over the other. What you've sort of essentially done is you've denied one part of what it means to be human. Well, so the evidence you seem to be citing for that and that comes from the Hebrew Bible, mm -hmm. um, which I, I consider at least to be a completely separate ethical tradition from uh, the one laid down by Jesus. Sure. Well, would you would you um, like me to go to the New Testament? 
Well, yeah, so uh, <laughs> yeah. let's see if we can find that, uh, because I can go there. Yeah. Um, let's look at the story of the widow's mite, uh -huh. uh, where we see Jesus analyzes the behavior of, uh, of two separate people. There's a rich man who comes in and tithes 10% of his vast fortune. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that large amount of money he tithes is going to do a great deal of good for the poor. Uh, a you know, blind old poverty-stricken widow comes in. Actually, I don't know if she's blind. Uh, but let's I say she's blind. That sounds cool. Exactly. Yeah, it sounds yeah. more severe. Yeah. Um, and uh, and she's only got two little brass. Uh, can I swear on this podcast? Um, I think it'd be the first time it's happened. I don't necessarily mind it. Okay. Um, she's <laughs> but got, I wouldn't go crazy. She's got two little <laughs> brass pennies uh, to her name. That's all she owns, and she gives them both away. And he says, look at that. I'm actually not going to say what, I'm not going to pretend to quote Jesus directly because I know that would be offensive to some people in your podcast. But Jesus says that um, the widow is uh, uh, better. She is better because she gave up everything. That's the, those are the only things she had in this whole entire world. And she just destroyed her material existence. And because she did that, because she gave up everything, she's better than the guy who gave up 10% of a vast fortune. Mm. Um, you know, because one is judged not based on the amount of good one does, but rather based on the amount of pain one goes through, the <laughs> amount of damage one does to oneself. Yeah, I, I, yeah that's, that's one way of looking at it. I mean, I, I would say that what's happening there is actually based on a capitalistic system of value in that, you know, um, you talk about, you know, what's something worth? Well, it's worth what I'm willing to pay for it. Yeah. And on a scale, you could see what was worth, what it was worth to the rich man. And you can see what it was worth to the poor woman based on what they were willing to give for it. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. The, the, the woman, because she was willing to give up everything yeah. was better than the man who was willing to give up 10%. Well, she was everything. more, she was more generous. Her, her motivations yeah. were more pure. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. like, I think we're in total agreement. Yeah, yeah. Like but, she but, did but, more but, damage to herself. I, well, I, I don't. I don't think the idea is if you, you know, if you are willing to damage yourself a lot, that makes you a better person. I think that's exactly what the idea is. Like, <laughs> or if you consider giving up everything that you own, damaging yourself, which mm -hmm. I would. Um, I know that you know from a Christian perspective, you would posit this external uh, uh, post mortal reality where you know maybe the the amount of good she'll get in the afterlife or in the kingdom of heaven uh would balance out the amount of suffering in the real world but if we sort of set that to the side and say this is and say we're talking about ethics in the in the material world then you can clearly see that the widow gave up everything mm -hmm. uh and was better for it because she did give up all of her joy and all of the possibility that those you know, two little brass coins could buy her um, in, or, uh, in order to uh, uh, receive nothing in return. What, what was it to receive nothing? Because let's bring this back to the film so we're not just having a discussion about yeah. so, so, uh, so yeah. Superman actually gives up everything. Oh, yeah. In, in, right? In the end, because he values Lois exactly. Lane so much. So... What what you're I think are saying is that Christianity says you should give up everything for no good reason, mm -hmm. and I don't think that's what Christianity's saying. Well, I think Christianity's <laughs> saying you should give up everything in this world, yes, uh, in order to be concerned about the next world. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. it's a framework. Um, yeah. Now, I think 
out of the two characters, so we're going to take this, you know, look at this uh, in sort of their, because they both had sort of transformational moments in, uh, in the final act of the film. But if you look at uh, Superman's actions in sort of the first and second act, mm -hmm. uh, compared to Batman's actions in the first and second act, I think Batman more closely mirrors the Widow in Jesus' Parallel, uh, because he has given up everything to pursue his, uh, uh, you know, uh, war on crime. Uh, he's, uh, we don't see, even though he has an enormous fortune, mm -hmm. we don't see Batman ever, or Bruce Wayne ever enjoying it. Mm -hmm. I think we get a hint at one point, there's maybe like the outline of a feminine shape in his bed as he gets up, and I'm, I wasn't quite sure if that was... Yeah, that was a woman, woman, but he doesn't seem to be super happy about it. Yeah, like, he, <laughs> we never see him enjoying himself. Yeah, like, yeah. Everything... It's like he's just doing it, he's just putting in his time to maintain this Playboy image. Exactly. Yeah, and so, you know, and he has given up everything. Sure. Um, and so I, I would say that Batman and Superman uh, represent quite clear examples of the difference between someone who lives according to an egoistic code uh -huh. who um, uh, and someone who lives according to an altruistic code. Now let me give you another example of why. <laughs> well, well, can I say this real quickly? Are, are, are you saying that you're, it's your understanding that a Christian is not supposed to have any joy in their life. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, 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 would, I would disagree. As, and as I said in the debate, I think, is that a Christian is actually called to find joy in something different than he might otherwise find joy in. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would accept that. That, you know, that, that it's um, uh, there's supposed to be some like sort of uh, fuzzy outline of joy that you're chasing. Uh, and and that's the. But it's not just even in the afterlife. I yeah. mean, I, I think you know. Well, not, yeah, not even in the afterlife. Yeah, sure. I mean, in, this, in, in Paul's there's letters, this, I mean, there's this idea yeah. that you know you can commune with God, and it's the same with in in any kind of relationship, like or any kind of uh, religion or philosophy. There's like nirvana or enlightenment, or you know, there's some there's some fuzzy thing that you're chasing that you're giving up the real tangible things in life in order to achieve. Uh, but the point is that fuzzy thing on the horizon is a mirage and you're giving up things that give you real actual demonstrable pleasure in order to uh, to chase it <laughs> so i would say i was going to talk about different things that paul had said about uh, about, about joy jackson do you have any thoughts on that since you've been um you've been reading through that well or uh, anything there's actually anything in response to what ben's been saying um, I, I well i you know like it's it's funny that uh that Ben is holding up Superman as this icon of egoism because in the end, you know, he does give his life in order to, to save Lois Lane and, and the entire planet, you know, it's, it's this act of, of sacrifice in the end. He's, he's like, well, you know, I am not going to have the pleasure. I am going to die in order to prevent the suffering of others and allow them to go on doing their having their pleasure you know that's um and as as far as what christianity says about that um i'm inclined to side with you cody you know that um that christianity does not say um it's good to suffer you know uh, but rather that it it says um you know like or to or to put it in terms of the uh the fundamental ethical question that that Ben talks about, you know, who is the proper beneficiary of my actions? You know, I'd I'd say that the Christian message is who is the proper beneficiary of my actions? Well, sometimes me and sometimes other people and sometimes both. 
you know? Uh, but like every now and then, as I've been doing my chocolate book thing and going through these passages, I come across a verse here and there, like the widow's might story that seem that, you know, that I have to ask, what is it saying here? Like, is it in fact suggesting that, you know, the greatest good is in fact, the greatest moral good is in fact the greatest suffering, you know, or, or are like the other passages that in, in scripture that talk about good in, you know, terms more along the line of, of, um, you know, experiencing joy and, you know, having this fulfilled relationship with God, like what is, you know, are the, are those passages intended to contextualize these little blips that I see? You know, I mean, it's, I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there because that's what's on my mind and, and just sort of yeah. thinking about that in terms of Batman's sort of self-discipline and self-sacrifice in pursuing a particular kind of life and, you know, Superman's enjoyment of, of moments in his life and his sort of belief that life is worth fighting for. And then on the flip side, the fact that he actually gives his own life for human life. Sure. And so just to be clear, um, uh, I, and you, you raise a good point there, but just to be clear, I am not saying that uh, Superman, his final action is a, um, or that Superman is you know, entirely an objectivist superhero. But uh, I think if you look at his final action, like the words, he, his last words to Lois Lane are that you are my world. Uh, and that sort of mirrors to me uh, what John Galt says to Dagny Taggart in uh, a late scene in Atlas Shrugged, where he's on the verge of being taken away to be tortured on this uh, really ridiculous contraption that uh, <laughs> <laughs> I never quite understood how it works. In, uh, That's because it was made by a socialist. Capitalists are always right. much better at making devices to kill. Exactly. Torture. <laughs> yeah, torture. Um, yeah. and, uh, and John Galt says that he would rather die than give up uh, Dagny Taggart. So it's not that objectivists think that there is nothing worse in the world than death. Um, you know, clearly, even if if John Galt, the sort of prototypical objectivist, is willing to die rather than yeah. uh, suffer the loss of his, uh, the love of his yeah. life, I don't because, think it's... Because value is a personal thing. Yeah. Right? Because what? Value is a personal thing. So... Uh, I, yeah, I guess. Right? So, so, if, so, for example, you know, if he's willing to die because of some value that he holds, whether it's his, his independence or his integrity or whatever the case may be. Yeah. In this case, it was Dak. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. So, so, so from your perspective, um, you know, the, the, the value, value is, is something personal, right? I mean, it, it's not necessarily something you can say, this is worth this much, this is worth that much. It's never worth dying. It's never worth suffering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, every individual, I think what you're getting at there is the concept of the hierarchy of values. Mm -hmm. um, and every individual has their own hierarchy of values. Um, and the question is how, uh, it's not to say that there's no objective measure by which we can say, you know, your hierarchy of values is kind of out of whack compared to what's necessary for a flourishing existence as a human being. But yeah, like values are something that individuals hold. So, so if, if Jesus knew that in his suffering and dying, he would raise again to life, 
and that he would save millions of other human beings. Mm -hmm. um, and so he felt that that was a worthwhile thing to do. It would still be a sacrifice in one sense. It's not a sacrifice the way the objectivists use the word, yeah. but it's a sacrifice in the way that most people use the word, which is a you do something for, yeah. uh, for a certain goal or a certain purpose or reason. I think objectivists use the word sacrifice like it means like, oh, I just suffered for no good reason. Yeah. I don't think that's yeah. what anybody like means. The, they, you know, they typically talk about uh, sacrifice you know, as if sacri sacrifice were always an end in itself. I, yeah. So yeah, yeah. The way you know it's the the word sacrifice is used in an objectivist con context is to uh, attempt to acquire a lesser value or to attempt to exchange a higher value for a lesser value. So to give to give up a dollar to get fifty cents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I I want to say just really quickly a, a passage. Um, that I thought was kind of relevant to this is in Romans 14, it's verse uh, 17. He says, the key, Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And he says in the next uh, chapter, verse 13, this is benediction, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And when I think of this, I mean, if I, this last verse in particular, does that apply more to Superman or does it apply more to Batman? Batman obviously doesn't have any sense of joy because he isn't abounding in any sense, in any hope. He has no peace in believing because he doesn't believe anything. And so I would contrast, I would say, well, this person is describing, or Paul is better here describing the mentality that Superman has than the mentality that Batman is ha has. And so, you know, they're both doing something, but Batman is attempting to try to, you know, ba basically the world that Batman lives in is a world that he can't find any joy in. Superman is able to find joy regardless of the circumstances. And I think that is the Christian ethic. And I think what the objectivist ethic is saying, well, if you're giving up these real values for these perceived values, well, the, the problem with these quote unquote real values is that they <laughs> access to them is somewhat limited. So if you're, if you're, you find yourself in a situation where you're not able to have material wealth or health or happiness in the sort of, you know, uh, consumeristic kind of sense, you simply cannot have joy. Yeah, so I think that's actually uh, uh, one of the, you're, you're sort of touching on one of the sort of areas of objectivism where I have some issue, mm -hmm. and that it's it's a philosophy that's really only, that really could only be developed in a flourishing uh, society where most people have access to well-being. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's not the kind of philosophy that um, would have that would give much comfort to someone in a, a North Korean prison camp. Uh, it's not the kind of philosophy that would uh, 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 help someone out when they're uh, when they've found out they have cancer and have three months to live. Mm -hmm. There are other philosophies, Stoicism, for example, that might be of more use to someone in that circumstance. Um, and I, and I could uh, uh, and I could almost sympathize with someone who finds religion in. Uh, uh, if they're in prison or in, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, if they're, if they have a terminal illness. Yeah. Um, I, I like how you're talking about it. Like it's like a hetero. <laughs> I was going to say the example that came to mind. People always talk about when you go to prison and there's no women around, but you're a heterosexual. Well, I can understand if you do it then. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> how I think of it. Yeah. Like this is something for, uh, dying and impoverished people. Yeah. Um, not, but, but you, you, 
I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that, but I don't find that condescending. At all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, and I just want to go back a, a couple steps to um, what, what you guys were saying about uh, uh, sort of Christians finding joy in life, and um, you know, I want to point out, like, I I think it's totally cool that you guys have stuff that you like enjoy like that you you know because i don't think that you're um you know people that uh actively seek out suffering uh the way your religion tells you you should mm -hmm. and um <laughs> but uh i think there are uh there is a long long tradition of christians who have done that uh of monks who have uh, gone and lived in the most harsh horrible conditions possible who you know eaten rotten food and drank laundry water. Um, and I have a sink in my house that where we do our laundry that actually fills up with this cloudy, dark, mushy sure. water that's run off from all of our old stinky, sweaty clothes. And that stuff is gross. Yeah. And there are a lot of, uh, of really devout Christians who drank it for, uh, well, uh, they do. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to disagree that that happens. I mean, I, I, I would say that that's a theological problem in that it comes from this belief that Jesus's sacrifice has not accomplished everything it's supposed to. And so that I now need to suffer a little bit more in order to gain these benefits because what Jesus has done is not enough to cover everything that it needs to. Well, and, and, I, and I would say like, it's, it's actually quite consistent um, with the sort of underlying ethic of Christianity that it shares with a lot of other religions and, and that it shares with things like, uh, you know, Buddhism and, uh, Hinduism, this, this idea of the ascetic, um, the person who uh, attempts to achieve complete material detachment from the world. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and it's something that most Christians uh, don't do. Only the most devout engage in that kind of behavior. And, uh, and, and I don't think it's bad. I think the world runs on Christian hypocrisy. <laughs> well, so I, 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 I don't want to keep going too far from the film here, but sure. I, I, I will say I think there is, there is a misunderstanding there. I mean, because I, mean, I would say that the idea that we are supposed to be separate somehow from our physical existence is a Gnostic idea. I mean, the whole idea of the incarnation is that physical creation is actually good and to be valued, mm. that God was willing to take on humanity. And the Gnostics didn't like that idea because they said, oh, physical matter is awful. Oh, we don't want to be involved in that. Um, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, our souls are supposed to depart from our bodies and then we'll be actually free. And uh, th that notion is not Christian. But um, I... Um, Trying to think of how to tie this back to Batman versus Superman. Um, well, I think that that's that's almost how Batman. I think Batman is looking at Superman like an objectivist looks at God or looks at Christ, really? because Batman looks at Superman and he says, "This guy's not one of us. Mm -hmm. he, he's he's in this lofty ascetic whatever. He's not he's not part of us." And then it's when he realizes that Superman, despite being this sort of divine being, mm -hmm. he's completely tethered to the human experience. And that is that's that identification that he's able to see that Superman's grounded. He can empathize with Superman, and it changes his entire outlook. Yeah, and and, and I would say that um, you know, and I think I made this point earlier, but that the the, uh, the Batman is really living as the perfect Christian. He's uh, he's he's giving up uh, all of the stuff that makes life worth living in order to uh, you know. Uh, have sex with models yeah exactly yeah. Um, <laughs> and superman is uh he's out there he's independent he's pursuing uh his own values his own sense of justice and i think 
Uh, Batman's yeah. pursuing his own sense of justice. Well, but I think Superman uh, is explicitly criticized for uh, for relying upon his own judgment. Uh, and you see this the way the uh, senator talks about him. Uh, she says uh, at one point, you know, in a democracy, good is a conversation. Yeah. Like, and when she talks about, when she criticizes Superman for acting unilaterally, that reminded me strongly of how uh, the uh, political figures and the, the other industrialists criticized um, uh, Hank Reardon in uh, that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hank Reardon invents this powerful new metal that's lighter than aluminum uh, and stronger than steel and uh, is widely criticized mm-hmm. for uh, how uh, for having the audacity to come out and disrupt the industry and do all of these uh, and you know, build this new rail line with it and uh, do all of these things without you know, consulting the scientific establishment, without consulting the public. <laughs> and those are the exact same sort of criticisms that are leveled at Superman in this film. Well, on the other hand, though, <laughs> you could take Senator Finch's statement to be um, trying to domesticate God mm-hmm. and trying to say that, you know, this whole idea of this sort of lofty objective system that you seem to have that you think you hold, you know, that you think is the right one to hold to. Well, you know, we have to accept that and you have to run that by us. Yeah. And I mean, I, you could certainly look at that in the way that atheists will, will look at morality or Christian morality or the idea of God in general. And they'd like to domesticate God and because he doesn't sort of fit in with what they'd like God to be. Well, I don't like that. That's no good. You could do that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, could, you could get just about anything. I just think it's yeah. kind of funny how um, we keep arguing about who is the objectivist and who is the Christian. And Superman <laughs> Everyone wants to be Superman. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So I think we've beaten that to the death. I think so we have. Do you have yeah. any and, other uh, points that we um, want to discuss? I have one very important point. Um, and that is, this is, I mean, part of the, the story is an adaptation of the death of Superman mm-hmm. story the arc in the 90s, and I don't understand how you can do a Death of Superman story without Booster Gold. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. Yeah, no. Without Nathan Fillion playing Booster Gold. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, in the yeah in the comics, it's, it's, it all starts with all these sort of B-stringer B characters getting the crap beat out of them by Doomsday <laughs> yeah. uh, before Superman finally comes and takes his turn. Well, and if I could take this uh, uh, moment to uh, be extremely self-serving, um, well, that would be consistent, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> Booster Gold, for those of you who don't know, is a superhero who um, uh, has like a strong angle of marketing. Like he uh, wears like corporate logos on his uh, on his costume, um, which is uh, quite similar to uh, what my uh, superhero Captain Magnificent does. He's built up a huge merchandising empire. Um, uh, Just as you will if the book is successful. What's that? Just as you will if the book is successful. Exactly, yes, yes. yes. Um, uh, In the wake of saving the world, after he saves the world, he cashes in and uh, and then uses that money to fund a run for the uh, United States Senate, uh, where he becomes the first Asian-American Republican senator, or the first Korean-American Republican senator, and the first senator with superpowers. and then from there, goes on a uh, diplomatic uh, delegation to a uh, isolationist communist country called Kutan, uh, where he gets caught up in a coup. Kutan, uh, ton of coup. Kutan, yeah. <laughs> uh, gets caught up in a coup and uh, battles the uh, infamous People's Man. 
uh, Kootenai's national superhero. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's great. And if anyone out there is a literary agent who would like to hear more, feel free to contact me. It's good. Hearing you describe that, I identified with Alfred's comments. That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. <laughs> I completely lost control of this podcast. No, it's actually, it's actually I, I have read the book, and especially if you're interested in, in, in Ben's philosophy, um, it's a really fun book because it's a fun book to read, and it also sort of sprinkles in that sort of perspective that he takes, which makes it you know also a very philosophical read. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it was quite a fun, interesting thing to write because. I wrote it sort of at the time as I was transitioning out of this extremely principled uh, philosophical perspective and into one that incorporates a little bit more nuance and uh, pragmatism. And, uh, and so you see that sort of conflict in there that I was going through with my own philosophy at the time, um, where, you know, uh, where the character is presented with all of these challenges to his you know his own philosophy and uh there uh and when he does get a chance to put it into practice it doesn't really work out as planned now and and so that's not out yet but if somebody wanted to get a little taste of your your style and what you what you can do kung fu gladiator is on amazon paperback and kindle and uh jackson's done a lot of cool stuff but his big thing right now is chocolatebook.net Yep. And, uh, do, do you want to say anything else about the film or about uh, about chocolate chocolate book or anything like that before we go? I uh, yeah about about the film. Um, this kind of ties into, uh, I guess, a, a lot of the areas we covered our, our analysis of the film and the um, assessment of it, as well as the you know. But like I, I kept finding myself thinking, especially in the early parts of the film, as it was setting things up and setting up these themes that this is asking that same question um, that you see in, in Watchmen who watches the Watchmen um, and the, the comic book, of course, not the movie. Uh, the, uh, but, but the comic book, you know, did it, did it much better than I think uh, <laughs> Batman versus Superman did, but it's, you know, it's, it's the sort of question that one has to ask when faced with these superheroes why should we ordinary people, you know, accept like, ex accept the, like the, the power, you know, like they, they have the ability to make the world a certain way. Um, and the way that they make the world raises questions like, like, should it be this way? Should like, you know, you know what I'm saying is it's just the, sure. that sort of question of, you know, even even if the power isn't absolute, isn't you know, even if Superman isn't actually all powerful, he's making the world a certain way, and you know, one can ask whether he's using his power responsibly, or you know, whether like Batman is justified in the things that he does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting question to raise, and it sort of uh, parallels our conversations uh, about politics and about the uh, uh, whether those people in government who have tremendous power should be doing things the way they're, they're doing, or if they should have less power. Yeah. Again, who is, who is the proper beneficiary of these actions? Mm -hmm. Like, especially when, when the actions, you know, or, or inactions result in suffering. Like if, um, and the, the question of, and the, that question wouldn't, wouldn't even be a question if there weren't suffering in, in the world, like the, 
eth- I guess I guess you might say ethics arises out of the perceived inevitability of suffering. You know, like like mm-hmm. we ask ethical questions because it seems to us that someone's going to have to suffer, and we have to answer the question: Who's it going to be? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Cool. So I think I've gotten through everything that I wanted to say. Did uh, you guys have any other things you want to talk about on this topic? I have said literally every idea that I have. No, I'm just, <laughs> I don't. I don't have anything else intelligent to say. No. Um. Uh, no. I mean, I. I. I just want to say I really appreciate you guys doing this. I mean, I. It's an it's an interesting movie, if nothing else. I understand some of the critiques that you guys had. I think it was more maligned than it should have been. I think it was maligned by critics because they didn't understand comics, and by comic book enthusiasts because they were unwilling to appreciate the art form for what it actually is supposed to be. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's not a perfect film, but um, I was I mean, for, for first, I mean, I was just blown away that the film was exploring some of these themes. And um, and you got to give it to, uh, I think it was, it was uh, David Goyer. Uh, was one of the writers on this, I believe, uh, and he, yeah, he also uh, wrote the the Dark Knight films, um, and those are pretty cool too because the Dark Knight also has this kind of a, a Batman. Batman is kind of a Christ figure, uh, where Joker's the devil and Harvey uh, faces, um, um, you know, Adam or mankind because he's sort of corrupted by the influence of Satan and or Joker, yeah. and then Batman sort of steps in to take the blame so that humanity can be good. Or, you know, so there's this kind of substitutionary atonement thing. And um, uh, The Dark Knight Rises um, has this really kind of cool uh, parallels to the French Revolution, especially mm-hmm. Tale of Two Cities. Uh, so, I mean, there's all these really, I mean, so, you know, Gore at the very least, because um, he's connected with all these, uh, really brings in some pretty fascinating ideas. And so I was just, if nothing else, I was excited that these ideas were being explored. And, uh, and I think explored with, you know, with, with some degree of uh, thoughtfulness and, and, and sort of some quality in, in the filmmaking. And Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree it was better than Suicide Squad. I actually haven't yet seen Suicide Squad. Don't. I, yeah, I, I, I will I actually never see Suicide Squad. <laughs> I never see Suicide Squad. I wish I had never seen Suicide Squad. <laughs> Apparently, and and I didn't know this, but uh, superpowers are derived from ethnic stereotypes. <laughs> I've always <laughs> I've always yeah. maintained that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, at least in in Suicide Squad. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, hey, thank you so much for having uh, invited me on, Cody. It was a really, you know, awesome experience getting to talk about comic book movies with uh, with you guys and uh, the philosophical implications. I didn't think uh, uh, there were that many people out there that uh, uh, were into this stuff as well as me. But uh, well, uh, ju- judging by the uh, volume of listeners that I've had, there aren't that many. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we'll see what happens with that. Uh, thank you guys, everyone, for listening, and uh, thank you, Jackson and Ben. I've mentioned chocolatebook.net. I've also mentioned Ben. Oh, Ben, Ben's last name is Doublet, so if you're looking him up on Amazon, yeah. uh, Ben is pretty much how it sounds, and Doublet is D-O-U-B-L-E-T-T. Yep, like the word double with two T's at the end. Yeah, because you got to double the T's. All right, cool. Uh, well, thank you guys so much. <laughs> <laughs>